So whenever we come to a passage like this in the Bible, it usually uh, means that we'll get a little uptight. And when we read it in church like this, we always wonder how far is the pastor going to go. So let's just kind of all acknowledge that today, everybody may be a little uncomfortable. And that's okay. Because God is comfortable with making us uncomfortable. Now, if you're not a particularly religious person, if you're not a Jesus follower, it may be because of passages like this in the Bible, because you see, once again, it seems like Christians are always uptight about sex, and, and I just want to be me, I just want to live who I am and not have to worry about all the rules and all that kind of stuff. And here's my observation. Usually people want to live that way until they have been hurt sexually. Now, if you are a Jesus follower, you come to a passage like this, and for some of us, it makes us uncomfortable because it makes us have to deal with our own sexual hurt, trauma, and sin. For some of us, it, it makes us uncomfortable because of things in our past. And, and maybe even if you are a Jesus follower, but you struggle, it, it very well may be because your doubts about God and God's path first started when you found out how powerful sex is. So why... Why are there teachings like this in the Bible? Why did Paul feel the need to write this? And I think this is where a lot of us get lost. A lot of us don't understand. But the key, and really the big idea for the day, is actually found in the first phrase of verse 3. This is the big idea for the day. You might even want to write this down. Literally, it's straight from Scripture. It says this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Two big ideas in that one phrase. The first is that God actually does have a will or a purpose or a desire for your life. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. God wants something for you, not just something from you. God wants something good to happen for you. The best life you're ever going to find is when you are doing what God wants you to do, when you are in God's will. So what's God's will for us to be sanctified. Now, that's not a word we use very often, right? I mean, none of you got up this morning and said, I'm just looking, looking forward to being sanctified today. I mean, we don't talk like that. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, it's bad English, but it's good Greek. It means to be holy-ized. You become holy and again, holy is one of those words we don't usually use in everyday life. Nobody walks around and says, I feel very holy today. And if they do, we kind of think they're a little weird. So what is holy? Well, sometimes the best way to understand a word is to find its opposite. And the opposite of holy is not evil. The opposite of holy is common. So it's God's will for you to be uncommon. It is God's will for you to be unique, extraordinary, to be separated, to be different. God made you to be uniquely you, and that's who he wants you to be. Are you willing to be the you that God made you to be? Are you willing to be, are you willing to let God make you into the unique you that he made you to be? Now, we, we all know the answer is supposed to be yes, right? <laughs> because we're in church and you're tuned in. 
And you're supposed to go, yeah, I guess so. But what does that mean? What will I have to give up? How much will that hurt? Well, that's why we need to zero in on what Paul's really talking about. Because Paul is going to zero in on one aspect of what it means to be made holy, to be sanctified. Paul says that none of you, or I'm sorry, that you should avoid sexual immorality. For us to understand this, we have to remember that you are a soul. It's not that you have a soul, you are a soul. Your soul consists of your decisions, that's your heart, your will. Your soul consists of your mind, where you have thoughts and feelings. Your soul consists of your body, where you have appetites and desires. And your soul consists of your relationships. Have you noticed that sex involves all four dimensions of your soul? You gotta make decisions about it. You really do. And there certainly are thoughts and feelings involved in sex. And your body is involved. And it impacts your relationships. That's why this matters so much. And remember, your body is where you have appetites and desires. And you have all kinds of appetites and desires. I mean, you have an appetite for food, right? <laughs> you have an appetite for sex. You have an appetite for physical safety. You have an appetite to, to attach. And these are complex biopsychological processes that happen in our soul. It's just dance between our bodies and our minds and our decisions and our relationships. And so Paul's going to focus on one, sex, and he says, this one, you got to really pay attention to. Why? You ever seen sex destroy a person's life? You ever seen sex destroy a relationship? Have you ever seen a person out of control sexually? This is a big deal. And I think that's why Paul gives it so much attention. So what does Paul mean when he says sexual immorality? It comes from a Greek word, pornea, from which we get the word pornography. And it's a broad term. It means any sexual activity that takes you away from the you God made you to be. Any sexual activity that takes you away from you being Unique, extraordinary, different. Now, in Paul's world, you have to remember, religion and sex were often separate most of the time. In fact, the, the Greco religions were basically set up to encourage you to just let your sexual desire run free. You could go to a temple of the god Aphrodite. You could have physical relationships with a temple prostitute, and that was worship. They didn't have any problem with attendance. But you hear how, how twisted that is? That doesn't treat anybody as special. That doesn't treat anybody as unique. That doesn't make anybody holy. The, the culture was so twisted and sick that Demosthenes, a famous Greek philosopher and order, said this, mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of our persons, but wives to bear us legitimate children and to be faithful guardians of our household. Anybody notice anything wrong with that statement? Number one, it, it, it says, hey, if you've got a sexual need or an appetite, 
You ought to just do whatever you can to take care of it. But number two, it's incredibly demeaning to women. It says women are just objects. Men get to rule the house. They get to rule the world. We get to just satisfy our needs. And it wasn't until this small little band of Jesus followers came along and said, no, 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 no. Women are not just objects. Women are full participants in the gospel. They are our daughters of God. So whenever you hear, by the way, somebody say, well, Christianity is anti-women, go back and study history. Christians were the first people to say, no, women are, are not just sexual objects, they're people. So what's sexual immorality? It's when you are moving away from the way God made you to be. Now, Paul's going to answer, unpack this a little further. He said, each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. What, what's he saying? Paul recognizes you have to learn to control your appetites, especially your sexual appetite. Now, you all know this. What happens, what happens if you don't control your appetite for food? You gain weight. You get unhealthy. You go on medicine. Your doctor lectures you. What happens if you don't control your appetite for liquor? You can die. Drugs, same deal. What happens if you don't control your sexual appetite? Well, you can wreak a lot of damage to your soul and to the people in your life. Now think with me. The first thing we teach our children is how to control their bodies, right? I mean, we have to teach them, look, just because you cry doesn't mean you get a bottle. We have to teach them, <laughs> you need to do your business here, not elsewhere. <laughs> you, you, you need to learn to control your arms, your legs. And we keep teaching our kids how to control their bodies, how to sit still until they hit puberty, and then we clam up. Right? It's like... We don't want to talk about that because that's uncomfortable. And it's especially uncomfortable, like if you're a dad and have a daughter, you don't want to have that talk. Or if you're the mom and you have a son, you don't want to have that talk, right? But you've got to. You've got to. And parents, if you have a teen in the house, have the uncomfortable conversation. Now, let me tell you how it's going to go. You're going to say, well, you need to sit down. We need to talk. And they're going to go, oh, boy. And then when you start talking about these things, about things that are important, about what it means, they're going to roll their eyes. They're going to go, oh, please, can we just get this over with? They're going to squirm, and they're going to say, I already know all about that. What do you want to know? But you keep talking. Don't stop the conversation because it's uncomfortable. Because where else are they going to get the idea about the values that surround sexuality? You want culture to teach them? MTV to teach them? TikTok to teach them? You don't want TikTok to teach them. Now, Paul's also saying something really important here. He is saying, you are responsible for you. You're responsible for you. When it comes to sexual health, when it comes to being the unique person God has made you to be, the holy person God has made you to be, that's up to you. Will you take the steps to be in control of your own body, your own sexual appetites? Now, to do this, you're going to have to tell your body no. And we don't like to tell our body no. 
because it's uncomfortable. But I want you to remember this. Health for your soul always begins with discomfort. Health for your soul, whether we're talking about decisions, your thoughts and feelings, your body, your relationship, it always begins with discomfort. You want a healthier relationship, you're gonna have to be uncomfortable. You want a healthier body? I guarantee you're gonna have to be uncomfortable. Things are gonna hurt. Hey, you wanna have healthier thoughts and feelings? You're gonna have to be uncomfortable. Paul says that he wants us to focus on becoming the person God wants us to be, and and two values ought to guide us. First, what is holy? Remember what holy means? It means for us to be unique, extraordinary. Now now let me just pause for a minute and say, some of you are saying, okay, Clay, does that mean that that God made me to be a certain way? Read the scriptures. And what you're gonna find out is that there are some sexual desires you don't need to act on. True? That's the point of being holy. It's gonna lead you in uncomfortable directions. But the other word that Paul uses here is the word honorable. And that means to have value. To have value, to realize how valuable you are in God's eyes. How valuable is your body? It is so valuable that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. But remember the other part? So that one day you could be raised from the dead, have a glorious new body, a body that's perfect, a body that doesn't hurt, a body that is pure, and so that you could live forever with him. Jesus cares a lot about your body. Why don't you care for your body as much as Jesus does? Now I want you to connect this thought that you need to control the appetites and desires of your body with what Paul says next in verse five. He says, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. (laughs) In other words, you're not ever gonna find control over your appetites and desires by giving in to your appetites and desires. Let me put it in terms you can understand. You're not gonna lose weight when you eat cake, right? You're not gonna find sexual health by continuing to act out sexually. And this actually applies to every part of life, but this is where we're focusing. And Paul is saying something else. He says, people who do not know God, in other words, people who've not yet experienced his love, people who've not yet embraced his grace, people who've not yet trusted his healing power, people who don't have God as a daily part of life. They're just guided by their passionate lust. They're just guided by whatever they feel, whatever their impulses are. This is so important. Either you will be in control of your body or it will control you. And you're not strong enough to control yourself. True. Prove it to you. Just, I know I'm kind of going with food a lot, but it's sort of one of my issues. How many of you have ever just said, woke up in the morning and said, today I'm going to eat healthy and blown it? See? Now, I'm not going to do that with sex because I don't want you raising your hands. But let's face it, the same thing applies, right? You see this with athletes all the time. 
like the Olympics are coming up and you're going to see these incredible athletes and they just, they have disciplined their bodies in so many ways, but there's other ways in which they haven't disciplined their bodies. They haven't disciplined their desires. They haven't disciplined their mind, their, their thoughts and their feelings or even their decisions. And that's why, why you get some, some crazy pictures like of, of Michael Phelps right after winning all those gold medals, smoking pot in Columbia at five points. Duh. If you're familiar with the 12 steps at all, you know that the third step is surrender control of your life over to the care of God. It takes a power greater than yourself to help you control yourself. Say that again. It takes a power greater than yourself to help you control yourself, your, your appetites, your passions. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is why you should seriously consider becoming one. Because you need a power in your life greater than your appetites and desires. Now listen to what Paul says next in verse six. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. What Paul is saying is this. When it comes to sexual immorality, pornea, when you cross a sexual boundary, it impacts other people. Why? Because you treat people like objects. You treat them as, as merely something that's going to gratify a desire. And then Paul's real specific. He says God's gonna punish these people. And, and usually, you know, that's not... That's not where Paul goes, but he goes there this time. Why? Why is God going to punish these people? I th I, it's because these people who treat other people as objects, they, they are, they're violating the heart of God. God loves people. He loves you not as an object, but as a person, as a soul. Now, I, I know that crowd this size and people watching online, a lot of you have experienced sexual trauma all kinds of ways. And for many of you, that, that has defined and marked your life. Here's what I want you to know. No matter what has happened to you, no matter how you were a victim, God has the ability to heal. He can heal your hurt. He can help you go forward. God does not define you by what happened to you. And you shouldn't either. Now, I'm not trying to dismiss your pain. I'm not even saying I understand it all. I'm just telling you, our Heavenly Father sees a much bigger picture. He wants you to live a holy life. Now, there's a lot of us in the room, and we can say, well, you know, when I think back to my past, there's some things I'm ashamed of. And in fact, guys, true, this is the number one reason why we don't want to talk to the kids about sex and sexuality because we don't want to have to admit our own failures. Not saying you need to trot out all the dirty laundry, but you probably ought to admit to your kids that it was a struggle for you too. But here's what I really want you to know. God can forgive you. There's nothing you have done that God cannot forgive. I need to say something else here. If you're a Jesus follower, when you think about relationships and sex, 
you must be asking, am I taking advantage of or harming this person that God loves? Now, here's where it gets a little radical. I've known people who are married and they take advantage of each other. Sometimes it's usually one partner taking advantage of the other partner. I think that's just as sinful. Sex in God's design was supposed to be this wonderful joining, of this, this time of sharing, this time of giving to each other. But can I just pause here and ask you, is that the way it's depicted in our culture? No. I, I um, had a guy in my office several years ago, and he sat on my couch, he was just, his head in his hands, I can still see him just weeping. Here's what had happened. He had been having an affair. His wife found out, left him, took the kids, started divorce proceedings. This guy found out that he was going to be a lot poorer when he got divorced than he thought. When his mistress found out that he was gonna be a lot poorer than he thought, his mistress ended the relationship. This guy's left with nothing. And he's sobbing on my couch and he's saying, what have I done to my life? What have I done to my life? And here's the answer. You started treating people like objects. You thought you got to be in control. And there's the heavy price to pay. I, I think sometimes the punishment that God allows is a punishment of letting you experience the consequences of your sin. Now Paul is, is going to return to his big idea, why God made you, in the last two verses. This is what he says. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Listen to what he's saying. God does not want you to live an impure life. The word impure is in Greek, anti-catharsis. You know what catharsis is? It's cleansing. What is anti-catharsis? It's a mess. Some of you have anti-cathartic closets, right? They're a mess. And that's what sexual immorality does. It messes up your soul. And that's not God's purpose for you. He does not want you to go through life with that much mess. And so his goal for you is to be pure. And if you say, well, I wanna go to heaven I want God to guide my life. I, I sure do want Jesus to do some miracles for me, but I want God to stay out of my sex life. You're rejecting God, the same God who gives you the Holy Spirit. Because see, if you're really a Jesus follower, then you have the Holy Spirit, God inside of you, and, and he doesn't just depart you when you decide to sin sexually. So can I ask you a tough question? How can you ask God to guide you, give you grace, do miracles for you, and then ask him to stay out of your sex life? All right, let me give you three simple applications of the teachings of this passage. It doesn't bring in everything that we've covered, but I think it will help focus, give you some practical steps. You might want to write these down. Number one, embrace God's purpose for you. God wants you to be the you he created you to be. 
He wants you to be unique and extraordinary. He does not want you to be defined by your sexual past, your sexual sins, or even your sexual desires. You are unique and extraordinary, and that's the way you need to live. That's the way he wants you to live. And your journey toward holiness begins with you saying, God, I've made my life a mess. God, I have messed up physically, I've messed up spiritually, I've messed up emotionally. Hey, and God, when it comes to sexuality, boy, have I got a lot of mess. You just admit the mess. And then you say, will you forgive me? Come into my life, forgive my sins. I wanna follow you. Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. And, and for those of you who say, well, as soon as I can clean up my act, then I will decide to follow Jesus. Can I just tell you, that's, that's putting the cart before the horse. That's, that's getting the order wrong. The reason you're messed up is because you don't have Jesus. And you don't have the power to clean your life up without Jesus. So start with Jesus. And you say, well, I, I just don't know. I mean, I'd have to give up a relationship. I'd, I would, I, you know, I've built this whole lifestyle around this desire. Okay. Well, let's start. Start with Jesus and then see where he leads you. Now, so many of us have been wounded by sexual sin. And there's a lot of mess in your life. I just want to remind you, it is not God's purpose for you to be defined by sexual sin, whether you are the victim or the perpetrator. His grace is greater, his power to heal is beyond imagination, and he can teach you how to live. So let me teach you this prayer. It goes like this. Heavenly Father, I want to be the person you want me to be. I think you need to pray a prayer like this every day. It's a prayer of embracing God's purpose. God, what is your purpose for me today? Help me to know that I want to be the person, I want to be the extraordinary person you made me to be. Now, here's the second practical application. I think you need to decide to fight. Remember? Spiritual health, soul health begins with you learning to say no at the point of discomfort. David Arterburn, in his helpful book, Every Man's Battle, says that we have to remember sexual impurity becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. And you can break a habit. I love what Craig Rochelle says. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. That's true, isn't it? So if you, you're obsessing about sex, that's where your life's gonna go. The best way to fight sexual sin is to fill your life with the things of God. I'm not trying to make you into some self-righteous hypocrite. I'm just saying, spend time with God, talk to God. When temptation comes, and it will, have a strategy that gets you back thinking about God. Now, a couple of things. Sexual sin is not just a male issue. A lot of times we think that way. Fastest growing users of porn are women. Probably some of you. Tell you some another uncomfortable truth. Um, STDs, the fastest rising rate of infection is happening among senior adults. So don't just think this is a sermon for the teens and the 20s. It's a sermon for everybody. It's God's teaching for everybody. 
So you gotta come up with a way to fight this. How do you do that? Well, let me just give you some, some suggestions. Number one, you gotta admit reality. Hey, there is sexual sin in my life. Some of you would say, well, there's not sexual sin in my life. My husband and I haven't had sex for 20 years. I wanna just gently suggest that too can be sin. You know, you're not given. You're not, you're not giving a gift to each other. So you gotta admit reality. Uh, number two, I think you gotta check for addiction. What's addiction? Addiction is when it's out of control, when it controls you, when you're constantly thinking about how do I get this desire satisfied, that's when it's an addiction. Here's the third simple way I think that will help you is have one person you can be absolutely truthful with about your sexual temptations. Probably not your spouse. And I'll strive, we call these people 3 a.m. friends. You might need to be in an accountability group. You, this is why you need a life group so you can find some of these people. You might need to go to celebrate recovery and work on these issues in your life. You might need to talk to a counselor, but you need someone you can be absolutely truthful with about your sexual temptations. And then I, I think you need to decide your boundaries. That's part of the fight, decide your boundaries. Let me give you some examples of this. If you're married, uh, I think you ought to uh, might consider a rule. Hey, we're not gonna go out with people of the opposite sex. It's called the Billy Graham rule. Why? You said, well, we're just friends, nothing's gonna happen. I can't tell you how many affairs I've known about that start because they were just friends. So don't go out with people that you're not married with. Uh, no computers in rooms with locked doors. Then just don't do that. Consider putting some accountability software on your phones. Uh, decide what shows you will and will not watch. You know, what show moves you closer to holiness and purity, the extraordinary you? And, and so I, like Game of Thrones, you say, well, you know, it's, it's kind of trashy sometimes, but it's so good. Is it moving you toward holiness? You say, Clay, if, if, if that's the criteria, I don't think I can watch TV. Well, hey, would you, do you really want what God wants for you? And I'm not saying you have to give up TV or social media. I can tell you this. Don't, don't let TikTok dictate your sexual morality. I know we got some people here who are dating. Good for you. But can I just give you some advice? If you're dating, decide your boundaries before you start hugging and kissing. Because just, I can tell you, when you're hugging and kissing, that's a bad time to say, hey, let's pause for a minute and think about where are our boundaries? We don't work that way real well. And you need to remember that whole part about, are you treating this person like an object? Hey, we, we're, we're enough in hookup culture that we ought to really pause and say, is that, is that really the story we want for our life? You know, because when you're dating, you're really trying to say, hey, is, is, is there compatibility? Is this, is this someone I could spend my life with? And, and sometimes you have to be with a person for a while. And, and after a year, when the relationship doesn't work out and you've gone your separate ways, do you want that person to say about you, well, that was a year wasted of my life? Do you want the person to say about you, I can't believe 
the damage we did to each other in that relationship. Or do you want the person to say something like, you know, we dated for a year, really wasn't meant to be, but you know, he was a perfect gentleman the whole time. Now, can I just dive down? In our culture, we do not celebrate perfect gentlemen, right? We celebrate the bad boy. Can I tell you something about the bad boy? The bad boy inside is always a hurting little boy. Always, 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 always. And the bad thing is, some of you, you've gotten in a relationship with the bad boy. You thought you were going to save him and you got married to him because you were going to pull him out of that. And when you got married to him and you got about a month into marriage, you found out you were going to have to burp a 180 pound boy every day of your married life. See a couple of you kind of looking at each other. I'm not trying to I'm just saying, folks, let's call it like it is. Let's call it like it is. Okay. Here's the last thing I think you need to do, and that is surrender. You cannot embrace God's purpose for your life unless you surrender control to him. It means you realize that God knows better how to live your life than you do. That's what it means. And a lot of you who are Jesus followers, Let's face it, we struggle here. We say, God, I, I want to trust you here, but I don't want to trust you here. I trust him there. You need a transforming spiritual experience. And Jesus said, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and the one, to him who knocks, the door will be open. You need to seek a spiritual experience with Jesus. So I want to do something a little different. We kind of do this sometimes. But I want to invite you to just, would you, would you get sort of um, contemplative? Get in your head, maybe bow your heads, close your eyes if that's comfortable for you. And watching online, you can participate in this as well. And, you know, if you have felt like there's a sexual hurt or a sexual sin that has kept you from Jesus, well, today, would you know that he forgives you and loves you and wants to heal you and bring some purity into that mess. Will you invite him to be your savior? Will you invite him to forgive you? Will you commit to follow him? You can do that right now. Just pray a prayer with those concepts. And some of you, you would say, I have got so much sexual hurt, so much sexual pain. Would you give that to God? Just give it to God, just say, God, here it is. It hurts. It's, I've drug it around for a long time. Let his grace wash over you some of you. Even Jesus followers, you're still thinking about a lot of sexual sin. Would you just say, Heavenly Father, I give this to you. I'm powerless over it. I need your help. So Heavenly Father, I pray as people seek that spiritual experience with you, that they would have it, that you would come in power with them, to them, bring healing, Father, bring grace, bring forgiveness, and especially for those who don't know Jesus today, let them embrace him as Savior and Lord. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.